Cast. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, folks. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I have an all-star guest lined up for you today, Mr. Stephen M. R. Covey. Stephen, thanks for being a guest today. Hey, Earl. So delighted to be with you. Really excited for today. Yeah, I'm I'm very, very excited by this conversation. And listeners, I'm sure Mr. Covey doesn't uh, really need that much of an introduction, but I'm going to give you one anyways for those of you who aren't familiar with his work. He is co-founder and CEO of Covey Link and the Franklin Covey Global Trust Practice. He's author of the New York Times bestselling book, The Speed of Trust, back in 2008. And he is a sought-after and compelling keynote speaker, author, and advisor on trust, leadership, ethics, culture, and collaboration. He speaks to audiences around the world. With a Harvard MBA, he is a former CEO of Covey Leadership Center, which under his stewardship became the largest leadership development company in the world. Now, with that background and expertise, I'm very excited to hear how you answer that first question I ask all of my guests on this show. When you hear the term responsible leadership, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I, I'm excited to answer this. Um, and first of all, I love the question. Love the whole premise of this podcast, the Responsible Leadership Podcast. And because I think that you've nailed it, the idea that with leadership comes responsibility. And, and, um, and I call that stewardship. My basic premise is that leadership is stewardship. This is about responsibilities that are implicit with being a a leader. And in my brand new book, Trust and Inspire, How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others, that's what I talk about, the three stewardships of becoming a trust and inspire leader. In a sense, I could rephrase it as the three responsibilities in becoming a trust and inspire leader. And the first is modeling. The second is trusting And the third is inspiring. So modeling is who we are as a person, as a leader, as a human being. Trusting is how we lead, how we go about it by trusting our people. And inspiring is all about connecting to why, to why this matters. Connecting with people and then connecting people to purpose and to meaning and to contribution. And to me, that is what responsible leadership is about. It's about stewardship. And, and when you're a leader, you have a stewardship, a responsibility to, you know, it's not about rights, but it is about these responsibilities. And that the people that you lead, the people that are in your care, the, that they, they, they can and should expect 
um, something from you, these responsibilities, that you would be a model of the kind of behavior that you'd like to see, be a model of the values that we espouse as a company or as a team, to be a model of, of a, you know, be an example. You go first, and and you know we have that stewardship to our people to to model, but we also have a stewardship to trust our people, and not to try to con- control them, but really to release them to to see their potential and to communicate it and to develop it and to unleash it, and to extend that trust to them. And, and people don't want to be managed. They want to be led. They want to be trusted. So that is a, a stewardship, a responsibility we have as leaders to trust people. And finally, I think this, this idea of inspiring, I think that is a stewardship, a responsibility that we have to inspire people. And Earl, that's a little bit of a paradigm shift because we often kind of conflate inspiration and charisma as if they were the same. And, and, and for some, it's kind of like, well, I'm not charismatic. How, do, how am I going to inspire? No, their inspiration and charisma are not the same. Um, inspiring means to breathe life into. And, and so, and, and you ignite the fire that's, that's within and everyone can inspire. It's a learnable skill. And we inspire when we connect with people through genuine caring and a sense of belonging and we also inspire others when we connect to purpose and the meaning and the contribution. And, and so inspiring others is a learnable skill. And not only is it a learnable skill, it is a stewardship, a responsibility we have as leaders. So for me, I love this podcast because this is what this new book is about, Trust and Inspire, the stewardships, the responsibilities that are needed in our new world of work and in the, in the new, and really the kind of leadership that's needed today to model, to trust, and to inspire. So that to me is that's a long answer to your brilliant question of what is what does responsible leadership mean to me? It means stewardship, and in particular, the stewardships to model, to trust, and to inspire for our people. Mm. I love that. No, that is a great answer. It's a very, very great answer. And, and uh, I, I know we're, we're going to unpack those, those stewardships quite a bit more as we go through this conversation. Um, but, you know, again, I love everything you're saying. And, and you know, we're kind of singing, uh, singing not only in the same choir, but on the same, uh, same sheet music there. So that's great. I lo- love uh, it. I love it. <laughs> well, I, I got to ask this because, you know, your, your first book, Speed of Trust, and then now Trust and Inspire. Uh, it's obvious that that trust is a very big component for you, uh, as as it should be in leadership. But I'm kind of curious, like what got you there? What got you to really putting that emphasis on the trust piece as part of your leadership doctrine? Yeah, it well, ha- it was my own experience, including the kind of the crucible experiences. When a long story made short, you know, we we merge our company. Covey Leadership Center, I was the CEO with Franklin Quest to form Franklin Covey. And these were two great companies separately. Now we're combining, but we had been arch competitors over many years. And so we had different approaches to almost everything. Now we're combining and suddenly there was distrust. And, you know, and, and both companies separately were high trust companies. But combined, as arts competitors came together, we didn't kind of trust each other. And it kind of divided into two sides, the Covey side, the Franklin side, instead of being one Franklin Covey. And I saw firsthand the high cost of low trust. 
I saw how everything slowed down. Everything took longer. Everything cost more. I saw how everything became politicized. We became kind of internally focused instead of focused on the client and the customer and the marketplace. And, and, um, and we weren't able to collaborate and, and engage and inspire each other because we didn't trust each other. But then we became aware of that, that this was getting in the way and that we had to intentionally build trust between these arts competitors that had come together. And once we began to do that, to become deliberate and intentional, intentional about behaving our way into greater trust, we, we actually did. And we began to increase the trust, which increased more trust. And we began to extend trust to each other and people received it and returned it and gave it back. And, and soon we truly became one company, Franklin Covey. And, and we built a high trust team and a high trust culture. So we went from low trust to high trust and the difference in the outcomes was night and day. And we could do everything faster, less cost. We were more creative, more innovative, greater engagement, more inspiration, and, you know, better results all around, greater well-being. I mean, what's not to like? And it was from that whole experience, I realized trust matters enormously. It's not just some soft social virtue. It's financial. It's impacting our performance, our economic performance, as well as clearly the, the wellness and the well-being of our team, our people, our culture it was night and day different when we had high trust compared to low trust. So trust matters enormously. Trust also is movable. You can behave your way into trust. You can learn this. You can get good at this. You can build it on purpose. And, and uh, kind of those two insights that this matters and you can get good at this trust kind of was my big aha. And then I looked at all the stuff on trust that was out there and I found that it, it was either too academic or too simplistic. <laughs> and I felt like, you know what? I think this is be, trust is being underrepresented by a factor of a hundred. And this is so critical. And we kind of all just give lip service to it. Don't recognize the economic implications. And too often trust is seen as you either have it or you don't. It's either there or it's not. We don't focus enough on building it intentionally on purpose. And I felt like I've been through this. I've seen both sides of this high trust teams, low trust teams, high trust culture, low trust culture. And I've seen us also move, move from low trust to high trust. And I, and how to do that was something that we had learned. And I felt like this is my voice. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to talk about because it's being um, underrepresented in the marketplace of how critical this is and how, how tangible and practical and actionable it is. It's not just a soft, nice to have social virtue. It is learnable as a competency. And with that, I wrote the speed of trust and, and uh, with, you know, trying to help people get really good at building trust on purpose. And now this follow on book is about the kind of leadership that's needed today, this responsible leadership, this, this stewardship type of leadership, this modeling, trusting, and inspiring. I call it trust and inspire leadership as the kind of leadership that's needed today. And it's kind of the continuation of this trust work where we move from just building trust in a team relationship, a culture into a leadership. You know, this is the kind of leadership that is needed today in a new world of work. So that's been, that's kind of how I found my, my calling, if you will, Earl, it's, it's been a, it, it came out of my own experience, a crucible where, because it, by the way, I, I, I failed to mention one thing in the middle of this merger where there was mm -hmm. low trust that included me that, 
half the people didn't trust me. And I felt like, Hey, I'm trustworthy, but, but half the people didn't trust me. We were caught in the, in, you know, in, in the difficulties of this merger. And I had, I saw and felt what it was like to not be trusted. And I had to earn it through my behavior intentionally. And it took some time, but, 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 uh, you know, so this was a hard learning and it was an earned insight <laughs> and, uh, it sounds simple now, but, but really it wasn't at the time. So that's how I found my calling and hopefully my voice on trust. Yeah. Well, no, I think it is a great voice that you found and, and, uh, a hundred percent necessity voice, uh, for the market, as you uh, pointed out, uh, because yeah, I, I always get people you know, caught up on is trust given or earned. And, and I always say, uh, yes. And right. You, you have to give some trust to earn trust. And it sounds kind of like that's what you, you went through in that experience was you realized when people weren't trusting you, that maybe you had to show trust, get that little snowball rolling downhill a little bit, and then start earning more trust, give trust, earn trust, give trust, earn trust, let that grow. Right. And then I think the other piece is, and, and you kind of hit on there is even when you do all that, it's, it's still very fragile, right? Because mm-hmm. you can spend all that time growing, earning, growing, earning, growing, earning. But then when you violate it, you've obliterated the whole thing, right? Yes, it is always fragile. Something we have to be intentional on and, 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 uh, make sure that we don't just assume it, don't just take it for granted. But I love what you just said there, Earl, that is trust earned or is it given? And the answer is exactly what you said. Yes, both. (laughs) It's and, it's both. But we have to earn it through our character, through our competence, through our behavior. We, I call this, you know, being credible. That's being trustworthy. But here's the interesting thing. Think about this. You could have two trustworthy people working together, both trustworthy, and yet no trust between them, (laughs) even though they're both trustworthy, if neither person is willing to extend trust to the other. Mm -hmm. So it's not enough to be trustworthy as leaders to have trust. It's necessary, but insufficient. We need to be trustworthy and we also need to be trusting. We need to give it to get it. And if you don't give it, if you withhold it, others tend to withhold it back to you too. Right. And I've worked all around the world and I found that that when I, you know, with all kinds of companies and all kinds of sectors, and when I'm with a low trust company, for whatever reason, is the low trust organization, here's what I find. The number one reason why employees don't trust their leaders, their managers, is because their managers don't trust the employees and the employees reciprocate that distrust right back at them. I've seen that with partners and and suppliers and distributors and even with customers. You don't trust them. They tend to not trust you. So I, that's why I, I name trusting as one of the stewardships that is needed and expected a responsibility of a leader to be trusting of your people not controlling of them, but trusting of them and as a way of releasing and unleashing their potential, their talent, their greatness that's inside of them. And you can't do that if you don't trust others. And so you got to be trustworthy. And that is the modeling in a sense that first stewardship modeling is being trustworthy. 
And that's the earning of the trust. But we also have to be trusting. And that's the giving of the trust. And both are vital. And and um, I find as I work with organizations that probably the bigger gap is in trusting, that we're not trusting enough as leaders. And it's because we're worried about getting burned or it's hard to let go and all, all kinds of factors in it. But we've got to become more trusting as leaders in order to really unleash the potential, the greatness, the talent of our people and of our organization. Yeah. No, again, I, I agree with everything you just said there. And and for me, and I'm, I'm really curious your take on it, I think that piece right there that you were just talking about is probably the linchpin behind this this great resignation that we're going through is we're, we're seeing a lot of folks who, for whatever reasons that the pandemic explode, uh, exposed, whether it was how we handled telework, whether we were allowed to telework, how we handled reintegration, uh, the level of trust that was put in employees when they were forced to not come in, the level of trust that organizations uh, displayed or didn't display with how they were going to take care of their employees as mandatory evacuation orders. That trust was either built or violated during this period. And we're seeing a lot of organizations kind of pay the penalty for it now by people saying, Hey, I don't trust you. I don't want to work for you anymore. I'm going to find a place where I do want to work. Earlier, you're right on. I mean, there it's, there's obviously contextual factors around this great resignation, this great reset, whatever it might be called, all kinds of different things of, of how the world has changed and, and you know, the workplace has changed with, and, and, you know, choices and options that people didn't have before. But when it comes down to it, people, because they have those choices and options that maybe they didn't have before, they want to, they choose to, work at a place where they feel trusted and where they feel inspired. If they are, they'll stay with you. If they're not, they'll go find a place where they are. They'll go do something, something different. They'll go to someplace else where they do feel trusted and inspired. And, and, um, and, and, and there are some organizations that through this pandemic really leaned into trusting their people even more. So they're, you know, they're working from home, working from anywhere, remote work, hybrid work, intentionally flexible work, and the people are feeling trusted. And because they really leaned into it, they believe it, they're giving more trust, not less. And and uh, they're getting the benefits of that. They're keeping their people, they're engaging their people, they're even inspiring their people. And like you said, in other cases, there's been some other companies that maybe. Yes, they might have had remote work and hybrid work at a necessity, but they don't trust their people and the people feel it and they sense it and they know it. And in some cases, they even put surveillance <laughs> techniques in place to kind of check up on their people constantly and the people can see right through it and they recognize, you don't trust me, do you? And, and now that I've got choices and options, why do I want to stay here? I come back to people don't want to be managed. People want to be led. People want to be trusted. They want to be inspired. And, and, uh, and the great resignation is all about this. And if we can build the kind of, if we can build a high trust culture that inspires our people, we'll be a magnet for talent and we'll not only attract them, 
We'll retain them. We'll engage them. And even better, we'll inspire them. And they'll stay with us. We'll bring out the best in them. And we'll, you know, keep the best people always. And, and so this is a better way to lead in a new world of work. And, and it is, you know, the Great Resignation is writ large the new opportunity of our times and why we need a new kind of leadership today. Because the old model, command and control, won't attract and and engage and inspire, you know, a high trust team and a high trust culture. And it won't work. You can't command and control your way to a high trust culture. You can't command and control your way to collaboration and innovation. No, you need to trust and inspire as a way of doing precisely that. And so I think that you've identified the kind of the linchpin, as you put it, of of why this kind of leadership, trust and inspire, is needed today as opposed to, you know, the old model and even an enlightened version of the old model. I call it enlightened command and control, you know, a better version of it. But but still the paradigm is one of controlling people versus releasing and unleashing people. And, you know, because it's more about my rights as a leader, not my responsibilities as a leader. So the premise of your podcast, I think, is right on target for our times. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate that a lot. And, and great insight there. And, and uh, I think this is a great spot uh, to take a quick break. Uh, we got some sponsorship uh, responsibilities to, to meet here. So let's take a quick break. And uh, when we come back on the other side of the break, uh, we'll dive a little bit deeper into Trust and Inspire. Right, folks, welcome back from the break there. Uh, again, we are with Mr. Stephen Covey, uh, author of Trust and Inspire. And in the first segment there, we talked a lot about trust and why it is so important for this paradigm shift in, in leadership. And one thing I love about the way you laid out this book, uh, Trust and Inspire, is uh, it, it's very well laid out in the segments. So part one, you talk about the future of leadership from command and control to trust and inspire. And uh, we've already talked about that quite a bit, but I'm, I'm really kind of curious because my take on it, coming from a military background, uh, a lot of people really see that as a command and control rich environment. And what they don't necessarily realize is there is a place for command and control in military leadership, but a lot of it really is what we've been talking about and what you talk about in the book. It's, it's uh, you know, you talk about those uh, stewardships, the, the modeling, you know, uh, my first shield of the phalanx that I teach, which definitely comes directly from uh, the 11 principles of, of military leadership is uh, you're always on display. People are always watching everything that you do. And, uh, you know, we can get into some more of that stuff as we go through the conversation here. But in your first section, uh, talking about command and control, I agree with you uh, that now more than ever, uh, it has to go. But I would argue, and I'm kind of curious your take on it, that it never had a place in leadership in the first place. It never actually worked uh, to do the things you're talking about, trust and inspire. It intimidated. It kept people in place out of fear. But it was never really leadership, was it? I like that. I agree that really, I, I like to say command and control no longer works. And then I usually add, 
as if it ever did, right. <laughs> which is exactly what you're saying, Earl. You know, did this really ever really work that well? Or was it just management, not leadership and, you know, controlling people, not unleashing people? And was it really stewardship and responsibility or was it more position and authority type of thing? And so I agree with that, that this is, you know, we've left way too much value on the table through the years. But I will say this, it had been more acceptable. It was kind of more seen as that that's what management is at the time. And, and, um, and whereas today it's kind of seen as, boy, you're behind the time <laughs> if you're still trying to quote manage in that way. Um, and so it never worked that well. I agree with that. It was just more acceptable in times past and more seen as that's what it is. And, and, uh, but with the work that you're doing and many, many others, we're, you know, the paradigm is shifting and we're, we're saying, no, this is, we need to lead in a new way. It's far better. And, and, um, and it would have been far better before too. And, and so, yes, that's, that's right. And let me say this about the military connection, especially with your background. What's interesting, you're right. Command and control are both military words kind of put together. And I use that command and control because it, it instantly conveys kind of the old model of leadership. And people get it right away. And, and you know, there's, you know, and, and they are military words and the like. But what's interesting, and you've kind of alluded to this, is that especially the, the best leaders in the military today are really anything but command and control. They're more trust and inspire. Now, look, I, my, I, let me just highlight this, that when I say trust and inspire, I, I think it's a third alternative to the opposite of, command and control, the opposite of command and control is abdicate and abandon. So if command and control is excessively hands-on, well, abdicate and abandon is excessively hands-off. You know, that's, there's no leadership there. You're not, there's no expectations, no accountability. That's not going to work. Trust and inspire is really a third alternative that still is strong without being forceful, that still is authoritative without being authoritarian. You know, you can be decisive without being autocratic and you can have vision and expectations without being exclusive and exclusionary. And, you know, so you can be, you can be uh, strong without being forceful. You can be demanding without being demeaning and you can be in charge and have control without being controlling. And so trust inspires a third alternative. And some of the best military leaders I know have operated this way. I'll give a couple of examples. Um, uh, General Lieutenant Dorothy Hogg, she was in the Air Force and she she modeled as a trust-inspired leader. And here was her mantra, every airman, every day, an innovator. Mm-hmm. She extended trust, she empowered the people to be innovators. It was not every airman, every day, you know, just following the orders. It was, no, you're an innovator. We empower you. And they were far more innovative in what they were able to do. Um, General San, Stanley McChrystal, who wrote a team of teams, you know, and he, he, they had a mantra that said to the, the soldiers and the people, here was the mantra that when you get on the ground, um, if the order we gave you is wrong, execute the order we should have given you. Right. That's unbelievable. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is a life and death situation saying we trust you. We, we can't know everything. It's the, the environment that the, the the conditions on the ground are just, they're too complex. They're, they're too much shifting. 
we can't know everything. So we trust you. If we've given a wrong order, execute the order we should have given you. Talk about an extension of trust. That's trust and inspire. And then finally, you know, Admiral, Admiral William McRaven, um, it was under his watch. You know, he, he led all the special operations, right? Um, the elite fighting forces and under his watch, they got Osama bin Laden and he was the ultimate example of trust and inspire. Now, again, he was very strong and, and um, there was control without being controlling. He unleashed it, the potential of the people. So the examples are numerous. This is where even the military is going and, and it's where society needs to go. And yet too many leaders are still kind of trapped in the old model, not kind of the authoritarian version, but more the enlightened version of the old model. <laughs> still yeah. trying to do too much themselves, still having a hard time letting go, still seeing leadership too much as position and not influence as, you know, as rights, not responsibilities to use your, your language. And, and, and also, um, you know, not really seeing that they have a role to, to inspire. And, and, um, and so I, the whole premise of your question is right on that command and control leadership never, it, we never achieved the potential of our people with that model. We haven't in the past, we won't in the future. It's just become very apparent. It's not going to work in the future because it's not accepted today as like it might've been in the past. And it's not going to work to, you know, build the high trust culture that inspires. And it's not going to work to collaborate and innovate to stay relevant in this changing world. And without that, that, those uh, imperatives in place, you're not going to win. So we've got to move to a, a new style of leadership. A new way of working requires a new way of leading. It's trust and inspire. And to your point, it would have been better in the past world too, <laughs> had we done it. Yeah, so, no, I, I, I love it. And, and I, I sit back and I look through history because, I mean, again, we, we knew this. Uh, you, I love the examples you give uh, with, with uh, General McChrystal and, and uh, Lieutenant General Hogg and um, uh, uh, McRaven. Um, yeah. because the, you know, great, but I always go back to even, you know, even the gentleman we love to refer to as old blood and guts, general Patton, you know, he famously said, don't tell people what to do, tell them what needs to be done and get out of their way and let them dazzle you with their brilliance. Uh, exactly. Even I, I, it was so interesting on this, on this very point, Earl, I was going to include that quote in the book. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because I loved it. Yeah. But I thought he that General Patton was seen so much as command and control. That was kind of the impression. Yeah. That I thought that it would it would might be a disconnect to our reader without explanation. <laughs> and well, I and I and I and I didn't put it in because I thought someone might say, Well, gosh, isn't he command and control? But the reality is he was in control without having to be controlling always. He, he just did it through context. He did it through agreements. He did it through expectations and accountability. But even, even button guts, you know, even the, you know, kind of the face of what might look like command and control, there was a trust and inspire element to it. And yeah. there's no question that he inspired troops too by his very presence and, and, and the like. So it, it is interesting. Um, yeah. And, and sometimes uh, the, you know, that's why, that's why the modeling always goes first. Yeah. And you know, that's why it's the first of the three stewardships you model, yeah. then you trust and then you inspire. 
Right. Yeah. Rightfully so. I, I love that order. And and here's the thing that, you know, I really want uh, listeners to take away from this because uh, I think Stephen here is, has really hit on a lot and through the examples in the book and, and using these historical examples, right. And, and talking about how command and control never really worked. I think the one thing that most people don't grasp about that type of leadership, that micromanagement type of leadership is you're only ever going to get the results that you would have gotten if you had done the job yourself. Yep. The The thing that's brilliant about this and the reason why I love the, the patent quote is you're again, and I love your, your verbiage, you're putting the trust, you're inspiring folks and you're inspiring a team to come through. And I'm a big proponent of, of cognitive diversity. I like to talk about that. And then you get a result that you could have, almost assuredly never imagined was even possible. And it's going to be so much better, so much more innovative, so much more groundbreaking. And, and it's just it, it getting away from that style of micromanagement, command and control. And I agree with you uh, and adopting this trust and inspire. That's a, why we've seen a lot of the innovation we have over the past 10, 15, 20 years. And that's why we're seeing things, uh, innovate and iterate at, at the cyclic rate. You know, I use this quote on here a lot, and I'm not sure if you've heard it. Nobody knows where it came from, uh, but it says change is changing faster than change has ever changed before. Uh, and that's the truth. And if we don't embrace this style of leadership that you are are uh, championing here in Trust and Inspire, you're going to be the organization that just can't keep up and you're not going to last long, right? Absolutely. Yeah. You won't be collaborative. You won't be innovative. You won't move fast enough because everything's moving fast and nothing is as fast as the speed of trust yeah. and nothing is as slow as distrust. And, and you, you can't, you're not agile, you're not adaptive or responsive. And, and um, you know, so yes, if we want to lead change and stay ahead of the curve, then we need to move at the speed of trust and we need to lead it a whole different way. So I, I like that quote that you gave. And and, um, and I also agree with the basic premise of, look, you acknowledge that trusting people, there is some risk in, in trusting people. There's also risk in not trusting people. And I think in our world today, not trusting is the bigger risk because we'll fall behind. We won't move fast. We won't keep the people. They'll move on. They'll go someplace else where they feel trusted. They won't be collaborative. They won't be innovative if they're not. If there's no trust. So yeah, there's a risk to trust. We all know that, but the risk of not trusting is even greater. So let's minimize the risk of trusting by, you know, doing a smart trust with, we have clear expectations and we agree to a process of accountability. We create an agreement up front around the trust being given so that we minimize the risk of trusting, but we get the benefit of giving people some leeway and some flexibility and some autonomy to, to, to use that ingenuity, you know, as Patton says, to, they'll surprise you with their ingenuity to come up with things with possibilities that you just mentioned, Earl, that they'll, they'll do better, do something better than you might've done. And, and um, so, yeah. What if they don't do it the same way and that you would have done it? Well, what if they do it better than you would have done it? Right. So it's not just minimizing the miss, the risk, it's maximizing the possibilities, all that can go Right when people are trusted and they feel trusted and they have that autonomy, that's where innovation happens. And when people are not afraid to take a risk or make a mistake, as long as they learn and get better. And that's where innovation takes place. High trust cultures 
are 11 times more innovative than low trust cultures because people aren't afraid to take that risk, make that mistake as long as they learn. It's about learning and getting better. And, and, and so, but you can't do that without trust. And, and so I love your framing of it that, that, uh, you know, you, when you delegate, when you, when you empower people, when you trust people and trust them around outcomes, around desired results, not around the methods of how they have to go about achieving that because you can't hold someone responsible for results if you supervise and dictate their methods. But instead, if you give them the outcomes, you, you empower them around results, around outcomes, give them parameters or guidelines to work within and resources and let them come up with their own ways to do it. And to Patton's point, they will surprise you, thrill you with their ingenuity, what they're capable of doing and you'll get better results than maybe you thought even was possible. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, all right. So we, we've talked about part two quite a bit already, the, the stewardships, and you kind of segued very nicely uh, into part three of the book. And I kind of want to jump in there because I, I agree with, uh, you know, kind of where you were just talking about there with, with these barriers as to, to why uh, it is a little bit more difficult to become a trust and inspiration uh, style of leader. And I love your, your very first barrier. Um, this won't work here because I can tell you one of the things that I run into a lot with the leadership phalanx and talking about those shields of the phalanx is I get that one quite a bit. Well, you know, that worked in the Marines or that worked, you know, that's not going to work here. So talk about that a little bit. Why did you settle on that very phrase as your number one barrier? Because I think that literally it isn't the number one barrier. It's the first thought people have. Like someone might be listening to this right now and saying, I like these ideas of Trust and Inspire that Stephen and Earl are talking about, but it's not going to work at my company or it's not going to work with my boss. I couldn't do this, but I got a command and control boss. Or I'm in an industry that's very compliance you know, driven and regulated and it's all command and control. That's not going to work in my industry or, or my situation, my context. And, and um, it's very easy to have kind of that be our natural, you know, reaction of sounds good, but it's not going to work here. And so let's take it head on that idea of let's, let's try to speak to the concern. And so these barriers are phrased in a way that I'm not trying to judge people and saying, you know, why do you have that belief? It's saying, I know you have this feeling. This is real. This belief that, hey, this is a nice idea, but can this really work here? And I'm trying to affirm people that it can, that you, that this is an inside out process, not outside in. So it starts with ourselves and we can become the model of a trust inspired leader. Even if you don't have a, even if you have a command and control boss. So maybe your boss is command and control, but you yourself could be trust and inspire with your team with your direct reports or with your colleagues or peers, teammates. And maybe over time through your influence, influence your boss and show him or her a better model of a trust inspired leader in yourself. And then if you're a model, you can become a mentor. You can always go first. Leaders go first. So no matter what our role is, <clears throat> whether I'm a team member or the team leader, I can go first. I can model. And if I can be a model, then others can see a model of trust inspired leadership and say, wow, 
look at how Earl is leading. He's getting results and he's doing it in a way that grows the people. He's doing it in a way that inspires trust. Look at the engagement scores on that team. Look at their, look at their outcomes, their results, and look at their engagement. They're off the charts. What are they doing? And then suddenly that as a model of this kind of leadership, you then can become a mentor where others want to look to you and say, how are you doing this? And you can help coach others and teach others and, and spread this from the inside out. So I use the metaphor of the ripple effect where the drop water comes down, the ripples, the waves, they start at the inside and they ripple out. And that's the idea of, of how, how we respond to this won't work here is just, just to say, just work within your circle of influence, start where you can, you yourself become a trust and inspire leader and maybe even going back further, become a trust and inspire person. Try it in your home. Try it with your family or in your neighborhood, in your community. And then you can bring it to work too. So that's the idea is, is that you become a model who can become a mentor. You go first. And that helps answer um, what do you do in, in different situations and contexts. And I acknowledge that some are going to be harder than others. But look, it's even working in the military. So, which was seen as always command and control. And, and so if someone needs to go first, you can be that person that goes first. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, and I, I go back, uh, you know, I, I hate to always use military experiences, but I, I have a lot of them to draw off of because of uh, friends and acquaintances. And I go back to, I want to say he was episode four, uh, interviewed uh, Colonel Lee Ellis, uh, former Vietnam POW, uh, talking about his experiences at Hanoi Hilton. And, you know, with these types of things, if you are a listener right now saying, you know, saying that very phrase, this won't work here, I promise you, go listen to his uh, podcast episode. Uh, go read his book. These things that Stephen and I have been talking about through this entire conversation are things that they used in the Hanoi Hilton getting tortured, getting beaten, getting interrogated on a daily basis. These are the things that they did and that they used in that environment uh, to be able to continue to grow as leaders, to come out of uh, that mentally relatively unscathed compared to the general Vietnam uh, forces population. There's a lot of statistics about the POWs, about how many of them went on to become uh, you know, state representatives, congressmen, business leaders, uh, you know, thought leaders, like very successful people came out of those ranks because of what we've been talking about here. And I always say, if it can work in a POW camp in the middle of Vietnam, there's no way it's not going to work in your organization. Um, wow. So, yeah. that Wow. That's a fantastic yeah. illustration. I mean, talk so, about you're in a life and death situation there, the context, the situation is far worse than any of us have it. Right. And if it can work there, then it can work in other situations. Absolutely. It's wow. That's, that's, that's powerful, Earl. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's a great story. Like, like Colonel Ellis and, and some of those folks that have come out and talked about it. There's a couple of great books on, on Hanoi Hilton leadership. And, and it, it is a great case study, uh, for everybody. Um, well, Stephen, you know, we, we've been here for a little over 40 minutes, and this has been fantastic conversation. And, and folks, I promise you, uh, we have just scratched the surface on Trust and Inspire. There's, there's more barriers 
Stephen breaks down uh, in part four how uh, you know how to bring all this together to lead in the new world. So you definitely want to go out and grab yourself a copy of Trust and Inspire. I just want to throw that plug out there wholeheartedly right now. Uh, I'm just kind of curious, with everything we have covered uh, so far, Stephen, is there anything that we haven't chatted about yet that you want to leave listeners with before we close out? Absolutely. Let me just give, there's two other things I want to mention. One we've been talking about, but I want to take it a little further. And then, and then one uh, second thing to, to kind of dive in on the, the, the one I want to take a little further is around these barriers. Um, I like that you picked this won't work here. That's the first barrier because it's the most common one that we all face. Um, you know, other barriers are fear-based barriers. And what if I don't know how to do this? I don't know how to let go. But what I want to also mention is this idea that, hey, you know, this is who I am, or I've been this kind of leader throughout my life. This is what I know. This is what I'm good at. This is what I've seen. I just would come back to the idea from Marshall Goldsmith of what got you here won't take you there, you know, won't get you there. And that that maybe maybe you've had some success with the way you've led in the past, and maybe it was a more enlightened command and control. But in this new world of work, it's just not going to work anymore. And it probably, there probably was more value you could have gotten before too. But um, my main point is this, that we are not our style, that we can re-script ourselves. We are not programs, we're programmers. So maybe we've been a little bit command and control, enlightened command and control in the past, but we can re-script and become a trust inspired leader. And a lot of people have done this. I'll give you one example, Ralph Steyer, he was the, he's the owner of Johnsonville Sausage, one of the biggest sausage maker companies in the world. And, and, um, um, and he, he talks about how the company was, you know, doing fine, but began to lose morale and, and, um, and go down in productivity. And a lot of things were happening that were not that positive. And he realized that he, it took him some time, but he realized he was the problem. That his style was, he was so much kind of, uh, enlightened command and control. I mean, he cared about people, but he, he micromanaged everyone and made every decision and no one was growing and they weren't developing and they weren't unleashing, you know, release, um, achieving their potential and they felt uninspired. And he changed his style. He became aware and he became, as he became aware that he was the problem, he changed his style. He rescripted and became this empowering leader. And Here's a recent statement he made. He said, other companies use their people to build a business, but at Johnsonville, we use our business to build our people. And he became the most empowering. And it was always about getting results in a way that grows people, complete rescripting. So what my whole point is, maybe we've operated with a hodgepodge. You know, all of us are somewhere on the continuum of where we are. Are we command and control, trust, inspire? But we are not our style. We can choose our style and become the kind of leader that we want to be a trust inspired leader today. That's inspiring to people, I think. And then the last point that I want to just make sure that I give some emphasis to, we've talked a bit about modeling. We've talked a lot about trusting and I'm glad we did because that is what, that's the the linchpin that unleashes so much. But I want to just highlight inspiring Mm. this stewardship, this responsibility we have to inspire others. And again, I come back to, I, I, I don't conflate inspiration and charisma. I know many people who are charismatic, but who are not inspiring. 
I know some other people who no one would describe as charismatic, but who are absolutely extraordinarily inspiring. Why? Because of how they connect with people through caring. And nothing inspires another like feeling like someone cares for them and even love, um, you know, but just the, the empathy, the compassion, the caring, that inspires people. And, and then also if I'm on a team, a sense of belonging, and my identity comes from this, that, that inspires people. A sense of belonging and inclusion is inspiring. And we can learn to do this, to care and to create the sense of belonging as leaders. So don't think of, this is Bob Chapman, don't think of span of control, think of span of care. And I know this is a big part of what you're about, Earl, is that, that responsible leadership is, you know, the people in your care, you know, and so, so, so therefore care for them. That inspires, and we can all learn to become more caring and recognize what that does to people, how it changes them, how it inspires them. And then also when we connect people to purpose and to meaning and the contribution, and we can do that. You know, at Johnsonville, I mean, they're making sausage, right? You think, how can you yeah. connect to purpose? Well, they say our purpose, you know, we use our business to build our people. That inspires everybody. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I was at Pepperdine university and they, the Graziato school of business, they say, look, our, our, our purpose is not to develop, to produce leaders who are best in the world. Our purpose is to produce leaders who are best for the world, mm. best for the world leaders. Now, love it. If I'm a professor there, if I'm a staff member, if I'm a janitor, I'm inspired by that yeah. kind of purpose, you know, producing best for the world leaders. The point is, that we can create and embed purpose, meaning, and contribution into almost any role, into almost any organization. We can we have to get creative, like they have at Johnsonville, um, but you can connect people to purpose. That will inspire. So inspiring others is a learnable skill. How? By connecting with people through caring and belonging and connecting to purpose and meaning and contribution. We can learn to do this. In fact, we should learn to do this because it is a stewardship we have. A study from Zanger Folkman showed the number one competency that people wanted from their leaders was that their leader would inspire them. Yep. And yet it was not what they were getting. So this is a stewardship. This is a responsibility we have as leaders to inspire our people and inspiring others is learnable. And I talk about it in depth in, in the Stress Inspire book, but it's about connection connecting yeah. with people, connecting to purpose. So that's maybe the last point I wanted to make sure I emphasized is because I think where the, where the um, leadership is going today is towards inspiration. Yeah. And I think inspiration is the new engagement. It's the next frontier of engagement. And so we got to inspire our people and that is learnable and it is a stewardship we have as leaders. I agree 100 percent. And I love those examples that, that you gave there. I love everything Bob Chapman's doing with uh, Barry Way Miller and the yep. uh, the truly human leadership stuff. That, that is such inspiring leadership right there. And, and uh, I'll leave you with with one last uh, general quote here, because uh, as you were talking, it reminded me of uh, the 13th Commandant of the Marine Corps, General John A. Lejeune. Uh, his definition of leadership was. Uh, the sum of those qualities of intellect, human understanding, and moral character that enable a person to inspire and to control a group of people successfully. 
And I love that he he married inspire and control, not command and control, but inspire was was the word that he went with all the way back then. And so, um, yeah, it's it's uh, I love your your take on inspiration and, and putting the emphasis there. Um, and this is this has been a great conversation. Uh, I feel like we probably got about 12 more hours of conversation <laughs> in us here, Stephen. Uh, this has been fantastic. Um, but people want to, they, they want to pick up, you know, maybe they, they, you know, are new into to leadership positions and they didn't get speed of trust, uh, uh when it first came out and they want to pick up a copy of trust inspire. They want to find out more uh, about you and what you do and your messaging. Uh, what are great ways for people to find out more and, and connect with you? Yes. Uh, go, go to, um, our website, trust and trust and The and is spelled out a and D and, and, um, and then, you can get the book there through your favorite retailer, including Amazon. Um, the book's available everywhere. And I, and I really do hope our listeners enjoy the book. I think you will. And whether, and whether you're in a formal leadership role or just you're a parent, you're a, you're, you're a team member, the whole point, uh, approach of the book is that leadership is a choice, not a position. Mm-hmm. That everyone is in a leadership role. You can lead by your choices and as a, as a parent, and I also apply this trust and inspire to parenting, to teaching, to athletic coaching, really to every walk of life. And the first way you know, the best way of becoming a trust and inspire leader is to first become a trust and inspire person, as I mentioned. So um, I hope that you'll enjoy it. Trustandinspire.com. You can follow me at, on Twitter or link um, or uh, Instagram at Stephen M. R. Covey on Facebook, on LinkedIn, you know, all the, all the traditional uh, social channels. I'm not on TikTok yet, <laughs> but, but all the other ones. And, and um, I'd love you to do that and, and really to, you know, be influenced by this and, and to join me and join you and, and many others, Earl, that to help bring about uh, a renaissance of trust and inspiration in our world. We need more trust and more inspiration in our world today. And while it takes two or, two or more people to have that kind of, trust it only takes one to start and each mm. of us can be that one so i hope that that uh you can uh, uh find find this book read this book and be influenced by it and 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 let the book give you inspiration as to the kind of leadership that is needed today because in a, in a sense we like when we're trusted and inspired so if we're in the leadership roles being aware that others like to be trusted and inspired and if we are that leader for them isn't this what we all want? I think it is. I think we all respond better to it. And, and um, so here's the invitation to everyone to become that kind of leader for another, just like maybe someone was for each of us. That's the idea. I love it. I love it. That is, is very well said. It's a great, uh, great piece to close out on there. And, and again, uh, you know, Stephen, thank you very much for being with us and spending this time with me and my listeners. This has been fantastic conversation. And, and I just want to say I agree because uh, that's going to be my final sales pitch for the book, too, is this isn't a book for somebody who's in a leadership role or or even a, uh, necessarily aspiring to be kind of in a formal leadership role. As you said, this is a book for everybody. I truly believe that this is a book that everybody, uh, every household should have a copy of because uh, it, it just I mean, it just helps everything you talk about in here helps us be better people period. 
Um, and, and I love that because, you know, if you do nothing else, if you never lead another person, if you lead yourself to be a better person, uh, you're, you're winning in my book. And, and this book can help you do that. So thank you for writing it. Thank you for sharing all your insight and wisdom with me and my listeners on this episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I really appreciate you. Thanks, Earl. I love being here with you and love the conversation. And I agree. I think we could have gone 12 hours because we're simpatico on this and, and uh, the very premise of your podcast, the res, you know, responsible leadership is, is a parallel with my idea that leadership is stewardship. These are, it's about responsibility, not rights. And there are stewardships that leaders have. And I just name them my way, you know, modeling, trusting and inspiring. But the premise is that leadership is stewardship. It is this responsibility and, and, um, and not rights. And that's a big distinction and, and we're, we're together on this. And so continue your great work that you're doing. That's impacting many. Thanks for this opportunity to be with you and with all our listeners. I, I wish you every continued success. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electric Acid. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electric Acid Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electric Acid to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast, transform your influence. Electricast.